Welcome to Casting Hope, a sermon podcast of Hope Presbyterian Church in Columbus, Ohio. My name is Joe Hack, lead pastor at Hope, and we are so glad you're listening in wherever you are. In this moment of social distancing, we hope that our audio and streaming resources meet you where you are at and help you stay connected to God and to His promises. Uh, looking through the Gospel of Luke. So if you have your own Bible, I'll invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 11, verse 33. Luke chapter 11, verse 33. So in the middle of Luke's Gospel, Jesus, we're told, turns his face, or really sets his face, toward Jerusalem. And from that moment on, in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus and his followers are on a journey in the wilderness toward Jerusalem. Which is why we're calling this series Following Jesus in the Wilderness. Now, I don't know about you, when you hear the word wilderness, what you think of, but when I was a kid, I always imagined this kind of rainforest vibe. I don't know why, but I heard the word uh, wilderness, and that's what I thought. But a few years ago, I was able to visit Israel with my dad. Uh, so I can confirm that my childhood image is incorrect. It's not a rainforest. <laughs> the wilderness in Israel is a bone-white, lifeless desert for days. It's the opposite of a rainforest. And so when it comes to following Jesus, Luke wants us to think of that. To think of a dry desert. And I think this great us, if we're honest. I think we would rather our journey with Jesus be a journey through a kind of spiritual Ikea, you know? Or like a religious day spa. But instead, the image that we're given from the Lord Jesus himself and from Luke, as he records this, is that discipleship, following Jesus, is like walking in the desert. And I think that's fitting that we're in this because this is the first Sunday in Lent. It's a 40-day season in the church calendar when Christians across the world and across centuries headed for the desert. Now, not literally, maybe, but we do, as believers, give attention to the desert themes of our faith during this season, leading up to Good Friday, leading up, of course, to Easter. Well, this morning, we're going to look at Luke chapter 11, verse 33, as Jesus heads toward Jerusalem, uh, New Testament scholar N.T. Wright compares Jesus to a candle marching toward the dark. I want you to keep that image in your mind as you hear this passage read aloud, that Jesus is like a candle marching in the dark. This is verse 33 from God's Word. Jesus says, No one after lighting a lamp puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand, so that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body, and when your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when your eye is bad, your, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful, lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no dark part, it will be wholly bright as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. So Lord, with the words of my mouth, would the meditation of all of our hearts this morning, pleasing and acceptable to you, our rock, our redeemer. 
And Holy Spirit, open the eyes of our hearts, yes, even enlighten us, so that we would encounter this word that you superintended, and that it would change us and transform us and brighten us in the image of Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. Well, so about 15 years ago, my wife bought me tickets to see Lay Miz, or Lay Miserable, in St. Louis. Right? Yeah. Uh, this was no ordinary show, because it was their grand finale after their sort of non-stop North American tour. 18 years of touring, 151 cities, all culminating in St. Louis in the summer of 2006. Well, the summer of 2006 also happened to be my first summer of graduate school. And I was enrolled in a summer class unofficially titled Six-Week Greek, which attempts, or maybe even pretends, uh, to teach students the basis of biblical Greek in a six-week time frame. Yeah, I know. They don't do that anymore. They sort of are like, that's bad pedagogy. And so they stop, which is good. So early, really early to cram for my morning daily exam, class for hours in that same morning, lunch, eat some lunch, and then all afternoon into like the midnight hour, cramming for the next morning exam. Rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat. And so Josie and I, we settle into our seats at Fox Theater to see this glorious spectacle of theater. And I fall asleep. <laughs> uh, my eyes were heavy I couldn't keep them open right? and I just fell asleep I just fell asleep I mean most of the show I was gone and whenever Josie and I share this story with others nobody ever says well I get it like this is terrible no one says that like it's boring you know that's a terrible show I understand why you fell asleep no 100% of the time people say well obviously that's your problem not Mrs. problem amen they had nothing to say about that it's what you brought the, you know the glory and the beauty was there you uh, you well your eyes were just shut I think we've all probably have stories similar to this there's beauty right in front of us but then for some reason, we just don't see it. Maybe we hated reading, like, To Kill a Mockingbird in high school. We just hated reading any classics of, that we were given in high school. But now, in our adult life, perhaps we're rereading the books that we read, read in high school. <laughs> and we're like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. We admit in that moment that the problem isn't the book. The problem was our high school selves. <laughs> we didn't have eyes to see what was in front of us. And if something happened in that, we did. Well, in our passage, Jesus compares himself to a light. That's exactly uh, what he does. And then he says there are two kinds of people. Those with bad eyes and those with healthy eyes. And the healthier, the good eyes sort of see Jesus for who he is. And so like a window, the light of Jesus floods into their body. But the bad eyes, in a way, shut him out. So that none of the light penetrates, none of the light enters in, and the body remains dark. That's the basic teaching that we just heard read this morning. It's a powerful, powerful image we're going to unpack briefly this morning. 
but we may not realize that it's also very challenging. It's a very challenging statement because Jesus in this text is implying that most of the crowd that he was speaking to had bad eyes. They're not seeing the very blazing sun of a light that was standing right in front of them. And so they are in the dark. Just look up at verse 29, the passage that precedes what we just read aloud. It says, When the crowds were increasing, he began to say, This generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is standing right in front of you. And you don't see it. The men of Nineveh, these were sort of evil people. Readers of the Old Testament, the prophet Jonah himself, were like, there's no possible way they're going to see the glory of God in my message to them from you, Lord. And guess what? They do. And so verse 32, the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here, right in front of you. That's Jesus' statement. And so Jesus is basically saying here, the problem is not me, it's you. And that's a challenging statement. He's saying your eyes are there. So this passage is a warning, and it's an invitation. It's a warning that we could live our whole lives in church even. We can live our whole lives amongst religion and miss the Lord Jesus and His glory and beauty. That's the sort of terrifying warning that is in this passage this morning. We are the crowd. And we're invited to be the crowd. When we read the Gospels, we should always see ourselves in the participants of the story. And like the crowd, we demand signs. We demand... We could call it lesser things, and we're not satisfied with the light in front of us, Jesus. And so it's a warning. But Jesus, I think, wants us, and Luke in particular, wants us to read this passage as an invitation. To respond to the light of Jesus. And how can we do that? Well, three ways. We can recognize it. Internalize it. And then publicize. And that's the movement I see in this passage. Starting with recognition. We can recognize the, the light that is Jesus. This is a summons to recognize Jesus correctly. So he is the subject of verse 33. If you look again at that verse. He is the light that is not to be hidden. His light shines forth for all who enter the house that he made. That's the image he gives. When you go camping and you set up your tent and it's getting dark outside and everybody's in the tent, what do you do? What do you do? What I like to do is I like to take the headlamp off my head, which only focuses light in sort of the areas I'm looking, and I like to hang it at the top of the tent. So then the headlamp is shining in the highest possible point and it's shedding light in every single nook and cranny of that tent so that everybody can see and see by the light. 
And that's how Jesus describes himself. He's not just a local light for a local people. Pinpointing his brightness on just few corners here and there, a few people here and there. No, no, Jesus understands himself as the light of the world. He came and he is saying, I will be risen up so that it will light everybody. It will touch on everybody. This is not some local religion. This is not local. This is global. This is my entire creation. I am the light of the world. And everyone in this house is hit by the light of Jesus. But that means we need to recognize it. And the way that happens, according to Jesus, is with our eyes. With our eyes. And I think what we could call an eye transplant. We need our bad eyes removed, and we need what Jesus calls good eyes implanted, transplanted. So first our bad eyes need removed. For us to recognize the light of Jesus, we need our natural eyes to be removed. Left to ourselves, we will not see the light. Left to ourselves, we will not see the glory and the beauty of Jesus. He might be interesting. He might be helpful when we're in a hard time. But he will not be the greatest thing in our life. Left to ourselves. Why? Well, Jesus tells us in verse 34, Your eye is the lamp of your body, and when your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light, but when it's bad... Your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful lest the light in you be darkness. So the word that Jesus uses here that's translated bad in your Bibles is sometimes translated greedy or evil. In Jesus' day, you gave someone, even today in this culture, you give someone the evil eye. What is the evil eye? I hear laughter. Maybe you've received the evil eye. The evil eye is essentially that look that your sibling gave you when you came from behind to win that card game. (laughs) That's the evil eye. They were jealous. They were mad because they were in win mode. They were in take mode. So in that culture, in that day, and even today, when you gave someone the evil eye, it was sort of a jealous look at someone's success or it was sort of a take. It was a, it was a posture of take. I want something. And you're stopping. That's the bad eye, the evil eye. It's always asking, what can I take? When the, when the bad eye, the evil eye, sort of assesses a room, they're thinking, what's in it for me? I love my dog. I really do. But it appears my dog has an evil eye. (laughs) It appears my dog lives his whole happy life with this question, what can I take for myself? How can I benefit in this scenario? We call him our rover. He just roves the world, his little world, looking for things to consume. (laughs) Right? I have a funny story coming to me after this service. It's very raw. It's in like in the moment. But I won't get into it. It relates to that. Well, the Bible's offensive message, I think, is that humans by nature nature are rovers. Uh, We're born into the world with bad eyes and see the world a certain way. 
always asking, what can I take? What can I take? And Jesus says in this passage, if our eyes, if we're left to ourselves, if, our, if that's our outlook on life, then how could we see Jesus? How could we see the unique beauty of Jesus? Because Jesus' whole life, his whole life is costly gift. Jesus' whole life is the, is the question, what can I give? It's cross-shaped. So he's not only walking to the cross in this moment to sacrifice himself for others, but his whole walk is one of self-giving. His whole journey in the wilderness is a cross-shaped journey. And so the natural eye is closed to such beauty because the natural eye is only saying and seeing, what can I take? What can I take? What can I take? Jesus comes along. He's a giver. He says, carry your cross. That's a self-giving posture, and that is, by the natural eye, very ugly. Whatever lip service we give to, to service and to all of that, when the rubber meets the road, we want to take, by nature. Paul calls this the scandal of the cross. The cross is scandalous. It's a, it's a stumbling block on folks. Because the cross is what did Jesus give us? It's self-giving, sacrifice. So we don't see Jesus. We miss him. And so our whole body is left in the dark. So in order to see Jesus, we need our unhealthy eyes, our evil eyes, Removed, And in their place, we need what Jesus calls healthy eyes. We need more than glasses like I have on. We need more than LASIK. We need more than eye surgery. We actually need new eyes. We need an eye transplant. And that's what God gives you if you ask. You know that? I want you to hear this promise from Ezekiel. It's from the Lord. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone uh, from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. In other words, I will transform you from the inside out so that you will indeed see the beauty of Jesus. This is Paul's prayer for the Ephesians. Quote, I'm quoting him. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of Him. Listen, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened in other words, the eyes of, your, of, of who you really are opened, opened, enlightened. Why? That you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of the power towards those who believe? In other words, unless and only unless the Lord gives you new eyes, you will not see the immeasurable greatness of Jesus. He may be helpful to you, but he will not be most glorious and most desirable. New eyes mean we will see Jesus for who he is, and it fills our body with light. It changes everything. So we must recognize Jesus. Second, though, we must internalize Jesus. We must internalize the light that is Jesus. So verse 36 says, if you are filled with light, with no dark corners. So a good eye in those days was understood to let light in. Kind of like a camera. 
lets light in in order to impress the image on the film. It's been compared to a camera like that, like opening a window in the morning. A good eye lets the light into the room. And so, like this same window, when we have new eyes, it allows the light of Jesus, the light of the world, to be eternalized. This, uh, I guess, pun intended, sheds light on the passage that follows. So look at verse 37. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked to dine with him, and so he went in and reclined at a table. The Pharisee, the religious um, sort of leader of the day, was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. Now that's interesting. Greed, evil eye, sometimes a greedy eye. I wonder, I wonder why these are together. But you are full of greed on the inside. Jesus says, you fools, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give up as alms those things that are within. And behold, everything is clean for you. So Jesus is telling us here that, that he cares deeply about our internal life. That there's an integrity between what's on the outside and what is on the inside. And he does this by disrupting a dinner party of the religious leaders of his day. But a very, very clean exterior. One commentator says he does the equivalent of holding up a cup, like if we were at a dinner party, and we would, before they pour the, uh, the milk or the whatever, the wine into your cup, you were to hold that glass up and be like, this is filthy on the inside, to the guest, or to the host, rather. This is, this is gross. You see this? You're really going to pour something in this? Um... Full confession, I don't do a great job of washing dishes or pots or pans. It's not my strength. Um, I, I've, I've, said, I've said to family members that I believe that the heat in the next cooking thing will kill the germs. Anyway, so it's kind of like making a bed. Why would you make the bed if you're going to get in it anyway? You know, why would you clean the pot if it's going to be boiling anyway? You know, that's kind of what I said. It's probably because I'm lazy uh, with dishes. Here Jesus sees an opportunity to critique the Pharisees for caring more about the externals than the internal. So instead of a lamp, Jesus loved images. Instead of a lamp, Jesus used dirty dishes to make the same exact point. The light of Jesus must pervade our internal life. We must internalize the message. So Christianity is not just about external behavior. But Jesus changes our insides too, our motivations, our desires, our thoughts, our values. When we see Jesus as supreme, it changes our internal. So we recognize the light. We internalize the light. And then lastly here, we must publicize the light. This is verse 36. When we see the light, it floods our whole body. And then Jesus says we start to leak light. More than leak, we start to flood light. We become radiant from the inside out. We're not mirrors. I was at a rock concert, a really, really cool one, where it was very dark, and they filled the room with fog, and they handed out laser pointers 
to everybody in the crowd. And then the lead singer said, point your laser pointers at me. Really cool. You had this like moving blob of laser, red laser pointer things. And then he took a mirror and he goes, boom. And all those, all those laser lines refracted out into the crowd. Just a, a pure reflection. That's not what Jesus is saying. The Christian internalizes and becomes a sort of blazing light from the inside out. In fact, it is the interiority of the believer, the follower of Jesus, when, when seen that, that compels and shows and demonstrates the beauty of the gospel. As a kid, once a year, our neighborhood passed out luminaries around Christmas time. Anybody grow up with that or seen that or participated in that before? Luminaries? It was a kit full of like paper bags, kitty litter, and tea candles. Sounds like a party. <laughs> when you lit the tea candle, it illuminated the whole bag. As if the bag was on fire, but it wasn't. Well, that's how Jesus describes his people. You are illuminated. Jesus defines true spirituality as being lit by his light. From the inside out. It's not some inner light that we kind of cultivate ourselves. No, no, no. No, no, no. It's an outside light coming in and going out again. And that, by the way, is how others see and embrace Jesus. That's how others see and embrace the beauty of Jesus. Jesus entrusts his mission with, with, with us. And sometimes you're wondering, why on earth me with all of my stuff? Am I entrusted to be on mission for Jesus? And the answer is because it's not your inner light. It's my light when you receive. It's my grace to receive. And when it melts your heart, it flows out. It just does. In fact, it's our neediness. Paul would say it's our weakness upon which the power of God rests. It's our very neediness and weakness that qualifies you to illuminate. Because you are not in any sense generating light. You are receiving light, and then you are simply standing on fire before others. The grace that you receive. It's been said, set a person on fire, and people will come to watch them burn. And that's been described as a preacher's task, but it could be described as your task too. Oh, that we would be luminaries. Weak paper bags. As if we're on fire. So make public the light of Jesus. That's Jesus' claim here. He's entrusted that mission to you. And I think you can do this in two ways. You can do it in what we'll say is your witness, and we can do it in your worship. First in your witness. So Jesus says in Matthew 5, in Matthew's gospel, to let your light shine before others so that they will see your deeds, your works, the things that you do. This is how we publicize the light of Jesus to others. An eye that lets light in, that sees Jesus, is a generous eye. Remember? If the evil eye is a greedy eye and asks, what can I take? A good eye is an eye that says, what can I give? In 
friends, that is the way. That is the mission. That is the mission. Our friends, our neighbor, our colleagues, and yes, Lord, make it so, our family, sees in increasing measure the question on our hearts and minds. What can I give? I have everything I need in Jesus. What can I give? So may your neighbors and colleagues and family members see the light of Jesus shining because your life is like his gift. That's your witness. And then in your worship, I don't just mean here, Sunday worship, although it's that also. I mean all of life as worship, as like the Apostle Paul understood when he says our lives are living sacrifices. That means every single moment of our day, we can be on fire. Make it a priority to maybe, as one of my friends said, Get your heart happy in the Lord every single morning. Fight for this. Um, you know those glow toys? Those glow toys that glow in the dark? And how they don't work unless they're basking in natural light for a long time? Maybe it's helpful to think of our hearts in, those matter, in, in that way. We glow, you know, when we ourselves are basking in the light of Jesus. So we fight for that. We fight for that. We fight for those moments where we can actually just be in front of the loving, shameless gaze of Jesus. What does the benediction say? The Lord bless you and keep you and make his what? Face what? Shine on you. And be gracious to you. The Lord lift his face on you so that he can shine on you. It's a shame-removing, shame-less brightness that we can sit under. And then we walk from that changed. We glow. Our hearts sing, and we worship in all of life, in all that we do. And that makes the light of Jesus public. Recognize the light. Internalize the light. It's been said that Christianity has a movement to it, outside in, inside out. Outside in, inside out. But there's a rhythm or a movement to how God describes the life of a Jesus follower. It's outside in. We're saved not because we're awesome. Uh, We're rescued not because we achieved some kind of insight. Uh, or that we are good at some kind of religious technique. There is no elitism in the Christian message because it's an outside-in rescue. There is nothing inside of us, nothing, that preferences God in His rescue of you. So that means it's an outside-in Movement from the Lord Himself. We don't have like an inner light that just needs to be kindled. No, no. We are in darkness, Jesus says, unless we receive light from the outside. Jesus. And that's the grace that I think many of you need to receive today. You are maybe literally burnt out. Like that tea candle. (laughs) 
Because you are trying to kindle something inside of you that's not there. And you burn out. You are weary. And what you need to hear this morning is that it, this is an outside-in gig. It's not up to you. It's an outside light. It's an outside light that comes to you. We admit our darkness. I mean, if you want something to do, admit your darkness. Admit your weakness. Admit your hunger. Admit your need. It's an outside-in gig. But then it's an inside-out movement. The outside-in light changes us from the inside-out. Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, does not leave us alone. The light sheds into every single corner of the tent. We are transformed. We're internally rewired day by day. And then that light, just like a tent at night, glows. Some of you need to hear this this morning. This is the grace that you need to hear. The possibility of real change. Retired pastor Timothy Keller likes to talk about the difference between melted wax and hard wax. Melted wax receives an imprint, an image. Hard wax does receive an image if you press hard enough and you lift, but it does not last. And sometimes if you press hard enough, the wax breaks apart. And what this does, what this image does, is it impresses upon us the importance of having a melted heart so that real change can happen. And that's what you need to do. The grace you need to receive this morning is that the Lord's face shines on you in Jesus. His eyes shine and melt you. We do not deserve it. Jesus, who was the true light, went to the cross. He's walking to the cross, even this passage. Because we have darkness. And that dark Saturday between the cross and Easter is the reality of our internal life. Left to ourselves. And Jesus comes and he says, Yes, I am the light of the world, but I am the light Lay my life down for you. And what you need to know is that that alone will melt your heart, which causes deep change. And you need to know just the hope of change is possible. You can shine with something beyond your efforts, you can shine with something that is real. Jesus. And so Jesus, we ask that the, that the reality of who you are, the idea that the reality, the person who you are, would see you, and you would be glorious, you would be beautiful to us. And then, Lord, we ask that you would give us the eyes to see you so that we would be changed so that our lives could be to those around us. One that points others to help. The mercy, the transformation, the beauty. To you, Jesus. And send your name, yes.
Thanks for tuning in. For more information about our church and for more resources like this, visit our website at hopechurchcolumbus.org.